Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Hoping you're having a very pleasant Friday. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at an article that was featured in the December 2022 edition of the Liahona Magazine, an article titled, What the First Vision Reveals About the Father and the Son. It was written by Mark A. Matthews who is an LDS church educator. He's also an adjunct Brigham Young University professor. I say that because I don't think Mark Matthews is a theological slouch by any stretch of the imagination. I just feel that Mark Matthews' presuppositions unfortunately cloud his vision when it comes to who God the Father is, and he has to inject his Mormonism to make a lot of this work. Now, we brought up a lot of verses that seem to counter some of the presuppositions that Mr. Matthews and many other Latter-day Saints have regarding the first vision. But today we want to finish up by going to the subheading, The Son, Jesus Christ. And in that paragraph, he says, The first vision is the most important revelation of Christ since Jesus Christ revealed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. Now, when I read that, Eric, immediately I'm thinking, That's good enough for me. It's good enough for me, as he admits, that Christ revealed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. It does not matter what Joseph Smith says after that. I can trust Jesus' disciples that are mentioned in the New Testament. They have Jesus' seal of approval. I don't really have the confidence that Joseph Smith had the approval of Jesus. Why? Because he's teaching things that contradict what not only Jesus taught in the New Testament, but also what his disciples taught in the New Testament. He's teaching conflicting accounts, which to me proves that he cannot possibly be a true teacher and is in fact a false prophet. So I don't really need this first vision to confirm to me that Jesus rose from the dead, I certainly don't want the first vision, since to believe the first vision, I have to believe in tritheism. And as we discussed earlier in the week, tritheism is not compatible with what the Bible says about the Godhead. So why would I want to embrace the first vision, which comes with a package That means I have to embrace all the other false teachings that come with it. Mr. Matthews seems to think all these teachings that come with it are good things. You and I would argue, no, they're bad things. I think we also have a problem with just how the first vision came about, because it was not something that was taught in the first 12 years of the church. The first time we hear of it is going to be in the Joseph Smith's 1832 diary. But let me stop you there. That diary was not public knowledge. That diary wasn't even known publicly for many, many years. I think probably not until, what, the 1960s when it came out? It was actually known as the strange account when it first came to light after so many years. So it was not something that was publicly discussed, certainly for much of the history of the LDS Church. In a sidebar on page U9, 
he says, how many accounts of the first vision are there? And he talks about nine different accounts, which is true. That's not something most Latter-day Saints would have known even 10 years ago. That's not something that came out really until the Gospel Topics essays uh, were published by the church. But this is what he says. These accounts all tell a consistent story, and each provides unique information to add to our understanding of this remarkable event. Bill, I'm going to disagree that they all tell a consistent story. This is not how many angels were at the tomb, one or two. Those are easily solved. This has different players, uh, different accounts that are not consistent, and yet in just a couple of paragraphs, he wants you to think, Everything all aligns. You know what I think this is, Eric? Uh, because th- he's not the original one to keep pushing that line that they all harmonize, even though they add unique aspects to the story. It's kind of like whistling past the graveyard. If he keeps saying it enough to yourself, you're okay, you're okay, this works, this works, it's harmonious, people are going to tend to believe you because you keep saying it over and over again. But yet, how many Latter-day Saints have we talked to personally who found that when the Gospel Topics essay came out, admitting that there were several different accounts. That shocked these members. Sure, They were surprised by that because they had been taught throughout their entire LDS lives that there was only one story. And that story is the 1838 account that they find in Joseph Smith's history, chapter one, in the Pearl of Great Price. Let me give you an example of one significant difference, at least to me, is in Joseph Smith's 1832 account, which most people are not familiar with, Joseph Smith says he already knew that the churches were wrong. But yet in his 1838 account, the one that most Latter-day Saints are familiar with, he says it never entered my mind that all the churches were wrong. So what was it? Did he know or didn't he know? And I think the significant part that is left out in all the earlier accounts there's no mention of God the Father. Yet we just read almost in the entire article by Mark Matthews showing the significance of the Father's role in the first vision and how that forms the idea of how Latter-day Saints are supposed to understand God the Father. But yet we don't see God the Father until 1838. And even then, as you said, that doesn't even become a popular story. If you read the other accounts given by various leaders in the church, when they describe the first vision, they give details that Joseph Smith never gave, which makes me wonder, this must not have been something that was being told very often, that you have leaders getting the details wrong. Now, Joseph Smith, I personally believed he was embellishing the story as he went along. I, I personally believe that. I've written about this. I've said it many times. But the problem that I have is the conclusion that we get from that first vision gives an understanding of God the Father that is biblically inaccurate, and that becomes problematic. If you want to believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet, even though he's teaching an unbiblical view of God, that's certainly your right to do so. And I would defend your right to do that, though I might disagree. It does not harmonize with how the Bible explains who God the Father is. We have a variety of articles on the First Vision. You can go to our website, mrm.org, type in First Vision, you'll see those. Here's one that you might like to look at. It's called 10 Reasons to Reject the First Vision of Joseph Smith. That can be found at mrm.org slash 10 Reasons First Vision, with hyphens between all of those. 10 is one zero hyphen Reasons 
first vision. I think that's a problem I have, Bill, because they're assuming the first vision is true. And if we're going to go with inference to the best explanation, I think you lay all the evidence on the table. I just don't think that the first vision actually ever took place. Well, Mr. Matthews goes on to say, my mind immediately turned to the first vision. It struck me how powerfully that event confirms one of the main messages of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ really is God's beloved son and that he really did conquer death through the resurrection. Really, Mr. Matthews, you need to believe in this first vision to believe that? I don't believe in the first vision, but I wholeheartedly believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he conquered death through the resurrection. There were witnesses to that effect, witnesses that I can trust. I cannot trust Joseph Smith. I'm sorry. He's just not a trustworthy character. The stories that he tells are not consistent. He gives us explanations that just make no sense. Need I go to the gold plate story? How many times have we discussed how inconsistent and how unrealistic that story really is? But yet Latter-day Saints have to push aside a lot of the facts to believe that Joseph Smith did just that, that he brought forth this ancient record and translated it into the Book of Mormon. I don't need that Book of Mormon to believe that Jesus conquered death through the resurrection, and I don't need Joseph Smith's alleged first vision to confirm that either. Bill, on page U8, the last paragraph under the section of Jesus, this is what he says. I think this is a very important sentence. The living Christ, he writes, is the Christ who reveals himself in the first vision, and it is that Christ that all the world must come to know to be saved. That sounds pretty particular, as in the LDS Jesus is the only true Jesus. How is he saying anything else? I guess he would assume that by what I've just said earlier, and not believing the first vision, that somehow I can't have a proper understanding who Christ is, And I need to come to that conclusion that the first vision really took place. Otherwise, I'm not going to be saved. Right. Now, other LDS leaders have hinted that. They certainly have made that clear that you need to believe in this Jesus of Joseph Smith's first vision. I refuse to believe in Joseph Smith's Jesus. I refuse to believe in Joseph Smith's God the Father. I refuse to believe in Joseph Smith's understanding of the Godhead. And again, I want to state why. It's not because I have any personal animosity towards Joseph Smith or even any personal animosity against Mark Matthews. I disagree with that position because it conflicts with what the Word of God already reveals. I have to turn my back on Scripture and embrace what Joseph Smith taught and then come to his conclusion, which as a Christian, I just cannot do. If you're a Christian listener, I hope you've understood how important this first vision is for Latter-day Saints. And I want to read on the last page of this article, page U9, uh, this paragraph to me really sets forth uh, the the presupposition that Latter-day Saints have is that this first vision does affect their beliefs. This is what he writes. As we end this year's study of the Old Testament, he's talking about Come Follow Me in 2022, and prepare to begin next year's study in 2023 of the New Testament, we should remember that what we learn from the first vision influences the way we read and understand those holy books of Scripture. This is because the God of the Bible is the God of the first vision. Oh my, oh my. 
No, he's not. The God of the first vision is not the God of the Bible. We've demonstrated that by showing what the Bible says about God the Father. And they are not the same. Christians have never believed in a God the Father who is a separate, distinct God from Jesus Christ, who is, dis- is a separate and distinct God from the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. We have believed as Christians that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We go to the the Trinitarian understanding because the Bible supports that understanding. It does not support a tritheistic Godhead. We demonstrated that from the book of Isaiah, for instance, and just some of the passages in Isaiah 43, 44, and 45 that certainly contradict the idea of tritheism. You brought out a good point earlier in the week, Eric, that when the Latter-day Saints were going through their study of the book of Isaiah— they get right up to those passages and skipped right over them. Yep. Why didn't they explain those verses to their readers? Because I'm sure there are Christians out there that are bringing up these verses to their Latter-day Saint friends and acquaintances. Don't they need an explanation? I don't think the LDS Church offers a good explanation, and I unfortunately do not believe that Mr. Matthews gives a good explanation as to why we need to believe in the first vision. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.